Welcome to the Brisbane Property Podcast with your hosts, Melinda and Scott Jennison from Streamline Property Buyers, your local Brisbane property specialists. Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of the Brisbane Property Podcast with uh, myself, Scott and Melinda. Um, and here from um, beautiful Brisbane, where we've been thrown into a three-day lockdown in the lead up to Easter. Um, so we thought we'd give um, the opportunity to do a bit of a Q&A today. Yeah, we've got a lot of questions again that have been sent in. Thank you very much to our listeners that have been sending in questions. We won't be able to cover them all in today's episode, but we certainly will be able to select a few to go through. Um, and obviously, if you keep sending those in, you might be one of the um, the people that gets your question answered in a future episode. So we're going to jump right into it because we've got some really interesting questions that people are asking. So hopefully we'll be able to provide some accurate answers today. So the first one um, from Darren, I believe, in Melbourne. Yeah. So Darren said, um, I'm absolutely loving the podcast. Keep up the great work. I have a question about Brisbane suburbs uh, for your podcast. The more research I do, the more suburbs, especially south, seem to be in flood-prone zones. Could you tell me what suburbs you would recommend to avoid due to the high probability of flooding or higher insurance costs? I am aware of Rock Lee, but I would like to know if it is safer to target the north, east, west or south of Brisbane. Appreciate your help. So good question, Darren. <laughs> Look, um, Brisbane built on a river. Um, so basically, from the Wyvernhoe all the way all the way through to uh, Moreton Bay, um, the Brisbane River will wind uh, all the way through. It links up with the, I think the Bramah out towards Ipswich Way, comes right through. If if you do a bit of a zoom out and a snapshot, you'll see that any properties that are close to and this is for um, river flooding, by the way. Um, anything that's close to the river can be impacted, obviously, depending on the the height of that suburb. As you get a bit closer to the um, to the bay, you get a little bit more impacted by then tidal effect, and it can actually spread out into the lower lying suburbs. Uh, it, it's a very it's a very hard one to answer, to be honest, because there's also creek flooding, there's overland flow, there's a lot of other impact like that that you can have. So um, it's not a it's probably a location by location sort of selection, and you really need to have a look at the maps to see what areas are impacted. Yeah, and remember, we did an entire episode back, episode five, we talked about flooding and how to check flood risk. And I think, um, you know, we could identify a number of suburbs, especially around the Brisbane River that um, runs to through the southwestern corridor of the city. Um, however, there's locations within a suburb that will be flood impacted and other locations within the same suburb that will not. So I think for us to give a blanket approach of avoid this suburb for flood risk or, you know, focus on this suburb because it's less flood risk, it's probably misleading because there's going to be pockets within a suburb that are definitely investment grade that won't have any flood risk um, and other pockets that, you know, may present with significant flood risk. So if you zoom back to episode five, uh, we do provide the resource in that episode for you uh, so that you can check flood mapping yourself and also produce those floodwise property reports when you're looking specifically at a location or a property within a suburb. And as Scott pointed out, which is absolutely correct, there's more than one type of flooding that you need to be aware of. Obviously, being a river city, river flooding is um, a significant impact. Um, it's probably the, the least frequent as well. It's important for you to understand 
the impact that creek flooding can have. Um, and that just comes through a severe weather event more frequently. Um, and also the impacts of overland flow, which is um, something that can happen much more frequently off the back of some of the heavy downpours that we have in Queensland storms. So I do recommend, Darren, if you are wanting specific um, information around suburb selection, uh, zoom back to episode five, that will provide you with the resources that you need to be able to um, help you with your suburb identification and and get that accurate for yourself. Yeah, this, there are some creeks and, and waterways that are affect, affected, I should say, by um, a king tide. So if a king tide comes along, um, those areas, some creeks can actually back up, go over some roads um, and also towards some properties. Um, the only thing I, I will say there, Darren, is um, good work on thinking on that as well because it's definitely something you want to avoid if you can, that that flood side of things um, for your insurance and all those other reasons. Um, so it's, it's good that you're actually looking at that and are well aware of it to avoid it if you can. And we've just come off a, you know, recent episode and in many of the local areas where there has been some significant flood impact once again. So people should never say it's not going to happen again. You need to be aware that it could happen. Um, if you are a risk taker, then, you know, obviously you are aware of that risk when you make that purchase. Also understanding a property that you buy that may have had previously um, being impacted by flood, it's critical that you get a really clear understanding through a building and pest inspection as to what that may, what damage that may have caused long term. And it, we cover all of that in that episode on flood back at episode five. Yeah. So moving on to the next one um, from Jonathan. Now we don't know exactly where Jonathan was from, but he contacted contacted us through um, Facebook, I believe. Yeah. Um, asked a question on purchasing old what we used to call old flats, I guess, and, and units here in Brisbane. Yeah, I had to seek some uh, clarification from Jonathan because um, his question was that I was hoping you can shed some light on established duplexes. I see them around the inner city northern suburbs of Brisbane. However, it's not easy to find information regarding their sold prices. Do you think they are a good opportunity for investing, given you can knock, in the, knock them down in the future to sell to owner-occupiers? Now, um, I did have to seek some clarification from Jonathan because when he called them established duplexes, I, I wasn't quite sure what he was referring to, but he did send me a listing link for a property um, and it was very clear to me that the property was what we call here in Brisbane an old set of flats, um, which means that you may have two properties um, that are on a single title in some of the um, older, more established locations, surrounded by homes, quality homes in a lot of instances, um, generally two packs. So you, you'll have two of those flats side by side and they're, they're generally primary real estate locations. And if you can pick them up, they can work depending on your strategy. So I know Jonathan specifically mentioned Ashgrove and Stafford being two inner northern locations that he was looking at. Um, but they are throughout the city at um, a lot of the older, more established um, locations, but they are scarce. There are not many of them. So um, I, I, after we did that research, um, we actually did purchase ourselves um, a set of four flats um, in Alderley um, several years ago, um, opportunity there to knock those down and build. Uh, and I do remember, Melinda, you actually saying that your, your dad used to um, own some flats because she used to always talk about had you had you had to go and mow the lawn at the flats with your father? Absolutely. So that was the investment strategy that um, my dad used himself um, when I was growing up. It was a big part of our life to go and 
collect the rent. Back in those days, you used to have to pay cash. Um, You'd collect the rent from the people that lived in the flats and we'd be over there every few weekends mowing the lawns and weeding the lawns. Uh, Dad always took pride in making sure that the investments that he owned were, you know, looking good and and well-maintained and that obviously improves the value of the asset overall. He was a smart investor, obviously. So Yeah, and, and some of those inner city locations, obviously, you know, we mentioned we personally have um, owned a set of flats. They no longer exist because we demolished those. If you are looking to buy a set of flats, um, whether it's two, three, four, it's really important to understand what you can do with those flats in the future. Because just because there's a set of flats there now, it does not guarantee that you can continue to build multiple dwellings in the event that you do demolish them. So this is where an understanding of the city plan comes into play. You must understand what the potential future use can be based on the land zoning and any potential overlays. That's critical as an investor, uh, regardless of what you're buying. But definitely in the case of flats, just because it exists on the site today does not mean that if you demolish that, that you can build the same in a more modern um, way or that you can actually increase the density. It depends on the land zoning and what the capacity of that site is. So I, I guess the question then from Jonathan being, is it a good opportunity? Oh, look, it depends on your strategy, um, Jonathan, and your risk appetite, what you want to do and what you're trying to achieve out of it. Um, your knowledge, understanding those types of things and, and obviously looking at your zoning, what you can build um, and, and looking at what the end product can be. Um, yes and no, that yes, they can be a good opportunity. You've also got some opportunity there of holding costs. So if you've got the tenants in those flats and they work well, yes, you get some more return while you're getting your development approval and all your approvals done as well. Yeah, and I think that that's important for investors to understand your annual return can actually be on par with some commercial investments. So the gross yields are a lot higher when you've got two tenancies um, on the block. Um, obviously, it comes with less risk, though, compared to commercial um, arrangements. If you find a property is vacant in the commercial space, it can often take you a long time to find a replacement um, tenant. However, in this instance, you know, it, it potentially de-risks your income. Uh, finding a replacement tenant, depending on the location, is not that hard because it's residential property and it's actually, you know, providing shelter for people. So, you know, it does work for some people that are looking for higher yields. It does work for others that are looking to redevelop in the future. Even if the land is not zoned for anything more than single house use, um, it can be a really clever strategy to hold onto these sorts of sites because they do have a better gross return, uh, but the capital growth remains unchanged. If you're surrounded by quality character homes and the highest and best use in the future is actually to demolish and build a high-end home, then, you know, providing you're building for the target market, you really can't go wrong. You will get capital growth that's similar to surrounding houses, but you'll get the higher yields along the way as well. So um, we'll jump on to the next one. Um, I think it's um, Toby from Sydney has asked about um, Moreton Bay Regional Council uh, and some of the rule changes on secondary dwellings. Um, some people call them granny flats. Um, so, yeah, we've I think we have talked about this briefly on another episode. Um, I'd have to go back and double-check, obviously, but um, obviously Brisbane City Council have rules and uh, the Moreton Bay as well now. Yeah, so up until recently... Oh, here's the question from Toby, sorry. The Moreton Bay Regional Council rules have changed recently around secondary dwellings. Can you provide any insights? Now, just for clarity, secondary dwellings generally refer to granny flats. Now, the Brisbane City Council region has always had different 
um, potential use requirements uh, compared to the Moreton Bay Council, um, Ipswich, Logan and Redlands. So in Brisbane, if you build a secondary dwelling on your site um, and you're in a residential area with residential zoning, you can only um, have that building associated with the primary household. You can't rent that granny flat or that secondary dwelling out on a separate tenancy agreement. That has been the rule in the Brisbane City Council region for some time. Now, the Moreton Bay Regional Council have had their granny flat or secondary dwelling provisions um, under review for a number of months. It's been well known throughout the industry, especially for us as buyers agents. This is what we research and this is why people come to us to use our services. We help them understand any potential changes that can impact on their investment. We're not in the business of recommending um, homes to build granny flats. It's not generally the strategy most of our clients follow anyway. However, there has been a recent change in the Moreton Bay Council uh, provisions. So basically now uh, Moreton Bay properties uh, can no longer rent a secondary dwelling out under a separate tenancy agreement. So for a property to comply with the secondary dwelling definition in the Moreton Bay Regional Council, there must be um, a clear relationship between the dwelling house, which is the primary house, and the secondary dwelling. So it cannot be used separately, independently, or function as a dual occupancy. So that means no separate tenancy agreements on those granny flats in the Moreton Bay Regional Council. Um, this is now in line with what the Brisbane City Council region um, has shown. So, you know, if you sort of have purchased property in that location with a specific strategy to be adding a granny flat off the back, um, it's going to, you know, really be disappointing for you given that um, those rules have changed and have changed fairly abruptly, even though they've been under review. I think there's been some people that have gone ahead and purchased, um, perhaps not understanding that um, under review means that they may change, but um, they've certainly made that purchase and maybe regretting that decision now because they've got a negatively geared property in a, in a location where they intended to really up the uh, the investment return by adding a granny flat, but um, that's no longer possible under separate arrangements uh, of tenancy. Yeah, I've never been a, personally, I've never been a huge fan of them, I guess. Um, you know, you've got to look at somebody else living in the backyard of your own, of your property or a tenant's property. Um, I've never been a massive fan of it. Obviously, it restricts to who you sell it to down the future. So. And I think it then depends on an investor's strategy. And if yeah. I think people that are targeting a high yield strategy or, a, um, you know, a high income strategy, it can work for them where it's permitted uh, simply because, you know, it does generate additional income. Um, however, when you go to sell in the future, unfortunately, generally speaking, homes with granny flats <coughs> don't really tick most boxes for owner occupiers. So you're really then only limiting who you sell that product to, to another investor, um, who they will be calculating the, the value of that property based on the rental return, they'll, they'll be using a calculator. They're not emotional buyers like owner-occupiers, so their capital growth can be, you know, more limited than a standard residential home that does appeal to the owner-occupier. So moving from Moreton Bay, um, we've got a question here from Andrea from um, Sydney, basically asking how much money they, do they need to invest in um, for an investment property in the Brisbane City Council region? Yeah, so the question is, with the market moving so rapidly, how much do I now need to invest within the Brisbane City Council region and more specifically within the 10-kilometre ring of the CBD? Interesting question, Andrea. Um, when I answer this question with any um, new inquiry that comes through our business, um, 
Brisbane's a different city to Sydney and Melbourne and other capitals around Australia. Um, we never talk about Brisbane as being a radial city. We never talk about having to buy within a certain distance from the CBD. I know others out there talk about this a lot. We don't. Um, we've just outlined in that first question, Brisbane is built on a floodplain. There's a lot of locations that are really close to the CBD that are not investment grade. They have huge flood risk. And there's other locations that may be slightly further out than that 10 kilometre ring um, that tick every single box in terms of um, being investment grade. Now, remember, it's accessibility to employment hubs, accessibility to certain locations that matters more than distance in some instances. You can be within 10 kilometres and have no easy access um, to employment hubs, or you could be 15 kilometres and have very direct, fast um, access to those employment hubs. So uh, my first comment is never use distance alone as a measure of um, potential performance of an asset, especially in a city that has other impacts that you need to be aware of. But just getting back to the question, how much do I need to invest? Look, it's changing monthly. I think that's the most important thing that um, I need to say. It is definitely rapidly changing. Um, if we were recording this podcast episode three months ago, my answer would be very different to what it needs to be today. Um, how much do you need to invest? It depends on the quality of the asset that you're looking to buy. So you can still purchase within the Brisbane City Council region um, with a budget between six dollars and $650,000. That's almost entry level for a lot of locations, especially locations that are going to be 10 to 15 kilometres from the CBD. As you move further out to the uh, borderlines of the other council regions, the price point does drop. Um, however, if you are wanting not only to purchase an ideal location, but also an asset or a house that sits on that, that's not going to be a headache in terms of maintenance costs, you may need a higher budget now. The market has shifted significantly in the last three months, and I'm looking at CoreLogic data today as at the 31st of the 3rd, um, and it shows the quarterly change in Brisbane house prices being up 5.31%. And when we compare that growth to the annual growth, uh, we're looking at 8.22% annual growth in Brisbane um, compared to 5.31% in the last quarter. Now, remember, the last quarter is from January through to today, 31st of the 3rd. That's the time of recording. And um, that tells us that price growth is accelerating and it's accelerating more recently. So the majority of the 12-month growth, growth here in Brisbane has occurred in the last three months. Now, remember, early January through to mid-January, there really wasn't a lot happening in the uh, real estate market because we were off the back of Christmas and New Year. So most of the growth has actually happened in the last, I would say, um, 10, 10 to 11 weeks. And, and that's something that buyers need to be aware of because it really does impact um, the value or rather what you need to pay um, in the current market. If we're quantifying that, for example, um, and again, this is median data. So this is not representative of every suburb. This includes all of Greater Brisbane as well as um, the Gold Coast. These are the numbers that we're quoting. Um, if we're quantifying based on that median data, a $1 million purchase back early in January would now cost you $53,000 more. A $750,000 purchase would now be nearly $40,000 more. However, this is median data. It's not the same in all suburbs. There are definitely some suburbs where we have seen growth that is much 
much higher than this. I would argue um, in some areas it's been 15 to 20% growth in the last three months. And we've got an example of a, a property just like that. Yeah, so there's a property in the inner north. Um, it was actually 12 months ago. They uh, best offer I think they had then was 1.2 mil. Uh, went to auction last weekend. They sold it for 1.5 Gives so, you an indication and I think, um, you know, it helps you understand what is actually happening on the ground and what that buyer demand is doing to property prices. And more importantly, I think it's important to say the top end of the market is driving the growth here in Brisbane. We're seeing um, larger price growth in the top end of the market compared to the middle and the lower segments of the market. So if you are a buyer in that part of the market, Usually that's where the most owner-occupiers um, are sitting, looking for premium homes in inner-city locations. You will need to, to stretch well beyond that 5.3% um, growth because we're seeing growth, as I said, in some locations um, of 15 to 20% in the last three months, which seems outrageous, but it's what's actually happening. So I guess as we talked about, there's that lifestyle as well. So when people talk about this 10-kilometre thing, um, there's also, as you go a little bit further out, there's some really good lifestyles, really good cafes, good schools, good transport, all those types of things. I guess in a summary, uh, upward of six, 650. Um, and then as you come in a bit closer, look, you definitely want an eight. Um, but I, I'd be, you know, there's there's numbers there that say that million dollar house, obviously 1.2, you've made $300,000 in 12 months on a property <laughs> like that. It's not a bad return on your, on your investment, I'd say. Yeah. So Andrea, just to sum up your question, um, it is a hard question to answer because it does depend on your your strategy. Obviously, if you've got some additional cash up front to add some value instantly, you can afford to buy a better location and obviously put some money into the house. Um, if you're buying for location and you're buying a really uh, low quality house that can increase your maintenance costs, whether you're a home buyer or an investor, that can be really painful for you. Um, but if you've got that additional cash up front to spend on some renovations and improvements, then you know, um, starting with that that lower budget, six six fifty could be an entry price point. But if you're looking for something that's rent ready or you know something that you can move into as a home buyer um, without any work, you probably need to be upward of seven fifty eight hundred for anything in those uh, middle ring suburbs that is investment grade right now. And and Andrea, just just be aware in that lower price point when people start to make a compromise compromise on the quality of the product of the house, um, there's a there's a high chance you'll probably have maintenance costs. What we help our clients with when we look at property here is not only what the house is sort of in the condition now, but also what maintenance issues you can have or things to avoid maintenance. We can also help them with pricing on that and get all that done for them. So that actually helps them avoid all that maintenance because you don't want that um, chewing into your, into your uh, pocket as you go along. And the last question we want to tackle today, and it's just come in this morning um, and we thought very relevant given what's going on around us right now. This is Shane. He's a Brisbane-based um, individual. How will the current lockdown impact the momentum for Brisbane buyers at the moment? Look, um, it's a good question, Shane. Our lockdown uh, has been announced for three days. It may or may not be extended um, at this stage I believe there's less than 10 cases um, out in the community. They have all been identified. There's no unknown community transmission. Uh, based on our opinion, this is a short, sharp lockdown to prevent any further spread of coronavirus. We uh, personally don't see that having any impact whatsoever on buyer activity. I don't think it's going to um, minimise the demand for property from buyers. Remember, this demand is being driven by a lot of factors such as low interest rates, 
um, interstate migration. Uh, we've got an improving economy. We've got a huge number of job and employment opportunities coming about throughout Queensland. Um, there's a lot of things driving this demand right now, and we're in a really tight supply market. Listing volumes are low. We've also got um, a, a low pipeline of new building approvals, especially in the attached dwelling space. Whilst we've seen some um, increases in the detached dwellings off the back of the home builder stimulus package, um, they're typically in areas that are well away from the CBD that are not landlocked locations. So it comes down to where you buy, not so so you don't buy a city or you don't buy um, a suburb, you're buying a street and you're buying a specific pocket within that location. So will it have an impact of the momentum? Look, initially, until we're all out of lockdown, of course, the buyers won't be out. Private inspections are only allowed one-on-one. -on -one. Um, typically, most buyers won't be uh, looking to move forward with any action until we know that we're all safe and we can then um, resume where we left off. Yeah, I think the timing on it is not so bad either. Um, a lot of agents we've spoken to over the last week or so, um, a lot of them are building up saying, oh, I've got a lot of listings, I've got more things coming up after Easter. Generally, there's not a lot of activity in the market over Easter. People tend to um, don't have all the auctions in the open so much. They like to have that Easter long weekend. So I think the timing is actually not too bad. It'll probably let some people catch their breath for a couple of days. Especially those of us in the industry. We all need a little bit of a break working 24-7, yeah. it seems. <laughs> I, I think it's going to come back strong. I think next week things will be up and going again. Um, it's pretty positive. I think this morning there was only a couple of cases again. So, look, everyone's shut down. Everyone's being pretty responsible. So um, I think things will pick up again. It'll be businesses as usual, if not stronger, straight after Easter um, and in, we in the property market. We are, as Scott said, we are hearing indications from agents that they are holding listings now until after Easter. Um, however, we would need to see a huge influx in the number of new listings to absorb the current buyer demand. Everything that we're looking at at the moment is multiple offer with, you know, upward of five, six, seven offers. In some instances, upward of 15 offers on a single property. Every auction that we're attending, there's multiple uh, bidder registrations. Every buyer that misses out is a buyer that's still in the market to buy. So, you know, we would need to see a huge increase in the supply based on new listings um, before we absorb the current buyer demand. Now, it's not a question that was sent in, but I just want to throw one that I probably get asked nearly every time we do a discovery call with clients. Um, what's happening in Brisbane? It's a hot market. What's going to happen in Brisbane? Should I spend my money now? Should I hold my money? Should I wait? What's going to happen in the future? <laughs> um, we've got our crystal ball out here and we'll just, we'll have a quick look at it. But Look, generally, and this is what I generally do say to people, is that, yes, the Brisbane market is growing. The numbers are there. It's all in the data, obviously, there, and it's obviously on the ground what we talk about. Um, Brisbane is growing. There's a lot of migration. Things are happening here. Historically, Brisbane's never crashed in the market. It, it, it will go up and it'll probably flatten. Um, so historically, it's always done that. Um, there's a lot of positive signs here. There's a lot of people looking. There's offers going on properties. There's multiple people at auctions, the demand is there. Yeah, and I don't think that um, we're seeing this slow down anytime soon. I think once we start to see lineups um, reduce at open homes, that might be an indicator that um, there's fewer buyers in the market. But uh, we certainly haven't seen any slowdown recently. Looking at some REI indicators, it shows that buyeractivityonrealestate.com has started to 
to taper off. We're not seeing that in terms of the numbers throughout inspections at this stage, but obviously we'll be keeping you up to date with any changes that we do see in the market based on what we're seeing out on the ground. It's a lead indicator of, um, you know, what's going to happen in, in the settled sales data, obviously. So yeah, we'll keep you up to date with our monthly updates um, that we provide through this podcast. Yeah. And I guess the only thing to look at is, look, all the, all the um, so-called experts are saying two to three years of growth here in Brisbane. Um, if we get the Olympics for 2032, well, that's not that far away. So we'll get that two to three years growth. And then with all the jobs that it's going to create um, and all the infrastructure around the place, well, who knows what's what's going to happen as well there. So bright, a bright future ahead for Brisbane property. It is. It's all positive. So look, enjoy your, enjoy your week. Um, I'll let Melinda wrap it up from here. It's been good chatting. Keep those um, questions coming in. It's always nice to get those questions, makes us think and hopefully help people out with a few answers. Um, so I'll let Melinda wrap it up. It's been good to talk again. Take care and bye for now. Yeah, and I do would like to say to all of our listeners, have a very happy Easter. I hope you're safe with your family and you enjoy some downtime um, during this special time of the year. As always, if you're enjoying our podcast, please don't forget to leave us a review. Tell your friends and families about um, what we do and the information that we share. Have a happy Easter and we look forward to speaking with you again next week. Bye for now. Thanks for tuning in today. Please remember everything we have spoken about on this podcast is general in nature and we always recommend that you obtain independent advice in relation to your specific circumstances. If you liked today's episode, don't forget to subscribe or leave us a review on iTunes and of course, tell your friends about us. If you would like to get in contact, please visit www.brisbanepropertypodcast.com.au or email us at info at brisbanepropertypodcast.com.au. Feel free to send in any questions and we will try to answer them in future episodes.